Arthur Brooks, who is a uh, professor at Harvard, has been writing uh, a weekly column in The Atlantic on meaning and happiness. He's been doing it uh, since about April of uh, 2020. It's called How to Build a Life. And I think that his writing is uh, generous and thoughtful and a little bit subversive. And sometimes uh, his writing can be funny, like this week's piece, which dropped just in time for Christmas. This week's piece is called How to Make the Most of a Bad Gift. (laughs) It is uh, based, the whole piece is based on this uh, particularly uh, grinchy, or maybe it is a scroogey idea, that in Brooks' words, most presents are lousy. (laughs) He says this happens because a lot of gifts mismatched desirability with feasibility. And what he means by that is that most people want to give a gift that appears desirable, And most receivers want something that they can and will actually use. And so you know uh, how this thing works out in real life. I hope you don't know it too much, but you may know a little bit of what this looks like. It looks like thinking, thanks for this really uh, expensive and shiny fitness tracker that's going to make me feel bad about myself and make me feel slightly guilty every single day I use it, or more likely, every single day I don't use it. So he gives uh, some advice on how to deal with stuff like that. And if you need it, you can look it up. But the thing that really stuck out to me was that line, most presents are lousy. That could certainly be said to be true of the great present that Caesar Augustus had given to the world. Sometimes it's called the Pax Romana, other times the Pax Augustus. It was said, particularly in the propaganda of the Roman Empire, that Augustus had given peace to the world. In fact, they had even built an altar in Rome to commemorate the great peace of Augustus. But of course, we know it wasn't really peace that he had worked. It wasn't really peace that he had given to the world. It was more, uh, more like a fearful, nervous ceasefire which is always the product of tyranny. A fake peace, a thin veneer of pacification held up by the unquestioning obedience of the empire's subjects on the one hand and a Roman boot on the neck of everyone who disobeyed on the other. And to call that gift lousy would be to give it way too much credit. And it led to the usual stuff, exploitation, slavery, terror, and, uh, of course, heavy taxation, which is, uh, by a human way of reckoning things, exactly what caused a couple of scared kids to make their way to Bethlehem that year at the worst possible time. Caesar needed his cash, and so he had to count his people. And church, as strange as it sounds, as odd as it seems there, I don't know if there is any better way for Luke, the gospel writer, to introduce that familiar story that we have just heard again tonight. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. He and his lousy gift stand forever as the perfect contrast to the one who was born that night and the very good and the very needful gifts that he brings. And so I hope that you and I will be able to find our place again 
in that story tonight. You know, and it's not just a world that is under tyranny that was facing trouble that night. Certainly that's true, but there's Mary and there's Joseph too facing trouble of their own. There's the immediate stuff, the visceral stuff, the the physical stuff that's right there on the surface. Mary is in the waning days of her pregnancy. It's the worst possible time to make a multi-day 70 or 75 mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And you have to wonder why she didn't. She did it. Why did she make that trip? Wouldn't it have been okay if, if Joseph had just gone and registered by himself? I mean, they're not even married yet. They're just betrothed, right? But maybe that's precisely the reason that she did go with him. Because it would be better to be with Joseph when the baby comes than to be back home without him among all of their whispering neighbors. Mary and Joseph, they they knew and they believed what the angels told them about this baby. And yeah, there were a couple relatives that also believed their unlikely sounding story. But Mary and Joseph also know that whenever they get back to Nazareth with that baby, their little family is going to be shadowed with insinuations of scandal and of infidelity their whole lives. But those worries could be put on hold because for now they had more uh, immediate things to think about. No one in Joseph's extended family had any place for them to stay. There was no place for them in the inn. Nine months, give or so, uh, give or take, before that night, Mary had sung in praise of the God who had looked on the humble estate of his servant. And humble estate was surely true that night. She's just looking for a safe, maybe a clean place to rest and to have that baby. And I think this is uh, probably the place where people like you and I can begin to relate and to start to settle into our own places in the story because we all have trouble that we're facing too every one of us. Things that aren't the way that they're supposed to be, things that are not the way that we imagined that they would ever be for us. Things that we would write out of the script if we could. Right? Friends and family who we have lost or who we are estranged from, sometimes through a fight or an uncareful word that we wish we could take back. A phone call that we didn't want to get from the doctor or a phone call from one of our kids' teachers. Some situation that that we have tried to keep control of for months and months and now it's stretching into years and we're just tired. We're just tired of trying to hold it all together. Regret about a choice we made a long time ago or maybe it's regret about a choice that we keep making again and again even though we know it hurts the people around us. Church, we all, every one of us, have that kind of trouble. (laughs) Things that we have done, things that have been done to us, things that just are. And fake peace could never really get at those things. 
Fake peace can never really touch those things, and and we know that. (laughs) No plastered on smile, no dumb distraction makes those things any better. No addiction we use to numb ourselves, no recognition, no success can ever really get at those things. Because what we need, what we need is for a real peace to descend into our lives. What we need is for a real peace that can weaken the grip of all of that trouble on us. And weaken the power that that trouble has over us to unsettle us, to keep us up at night, to tear like it does at the corners of our hearts. What we need and what this weary world needs is a real peace that can heal and that can make everything new again. A peace that one day puts all of the trouble away forever. So if you can relate, if that feels like maybe a little bit true of your own story, or my story, (laughs) then I think the first thing is to have courage enough or maybe the faith enough to admit it. And while they were there, Luke says, the, the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And then it cuts to this dark uh, field somewhere nearby to a bunch of shepherds working on the night shift. One minute they're chewing the fat, telling the same old stories they always tell, making the same dumb jokes they always make, just passing the time with the animals as best they can. And the next minute they are pinned back under the ineffable glory of God himself. (laughs) I'm sure it was as weird and as strange and as scary as it sounds. Can you imagine what it would have been like? Every hair on end, that metallic taste in your mouth, just wondering, is this, is how, is this how it's all going to go down? Is this the end for me? But it's sublime, church. <laughs> it's sublime because they're not going to die. They, they have no, no idea. You know what else Mary praised God for about nine months before that night? That in her one day coming child, God has brought down the mighty. And he has exalted those of humble estate. She sang about it that day like he was already born. (laughs) She sang about it like it had already happened. And she was right because it started with her. And it started with Joseph. And it started with those shepherds that night. The birth of Jesus did not happen in a palace attended by an army of midwives. It didn't even happen in in the gilded halls of King Herod. It was announced not in any important place, not in any place of consequence, but in the night on a dark plain outside of Bethlehem to a bunch of normal, everyday people just trying to scrape out another night. He was born into the hands of a scared carpenter. He has exalted those of humble estate. Church, that is forever true. It is forever unbroken because that's how God is. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's what the angel said. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And for people like you and me, I think that part of remembering the story of Jesus' birth is reckoning with what the angels said and sorting out if we really think that that angel was right. Right? 
Because if it's going to be good news to me, then I'm going to have to open my hands and admit that that is something that I actually need, that I actually need a Savior. (laughs) All of us have to do that if this will be good news for us. For some of us tonight, maybe we do that for the first time in our lives. For others of us, maybe for the thousandth time. And then the sky just blows up. As St. Chrysostom said at Bethlehem, this night resembles heaven. And a multitude of angels join the first one. It's like a mountain of angel on top of angel as far as anyone's eye can see. And they sing this beautiful, fearful song together. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And even though I hope it's pretty obvious, please just let me say it. (laughs) They are not singing about some lousy fake peace propped up on fear and violence. They're singing about the real thing. They are singing about the hard fought for and hard won peace that comes through the might of the self-giving love of the one who took on our flesh that night. They're singing about the gift of real peace that heals and the gift of real peace that forgives sins and the the gift of real peace that weakens trouble and its power over us against that day when the trouble will be taken away forever. They're singing about the gift of peace from the crucified and risen and ascended Jesus, the gift of peace he offers to people like us tonight. You know, the angels told the shepherds that they could find the holy family by a sign. In all of Bethlehem, there was just going to be one baby lying in a manger. In all of Bethlehem, there would be just one baby whose mom put him to sleep in an animal's feed box. And when that angel horde disappeared, you better believe that, of course, they said to one another, hey, let's go over to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that's happened over there. And even though I don't know for sure, I imagine not for one second that they just kind of slowly ambled their way back into town. I would bet that they ran out of that field like wild jackals in a breathless foot race. Because if they find him, if they see that thing, if they see him here, then they will know this is really good news for all the people. And we come to him just like they did with whatever little faith that we have. Doesn't need to be super strong faith. Doesn't need to be faith that has everything figured out because a thin sliver of faith is enough if it is clinging to the one who was born as one of us, for us, and for the life of the world that night. Come, let us adore him. Amen.